0: Why did Jesus have to die? What a huge question. What an important question. Thank you for joining me today for this edition of Theology Thursday, where we ask that question, why did Jesus have to die? We're going to talk about salvation. Did Jesus die just to show us what love looks like? Was he just trying to influence us to be moral people? Well, there's certainly some of that in there. Jesus shows us that He loves us on the cross, but no, that's not why Jesus died. Did He die only to give us victory over sin, death, and hell? Is that what He did, just give us victory? No, He he certainly did that, but no, that's not the main reason that Jesus died. And so to answer this question, we're going to start where we've started the last couple of times together. We're going to start with the Trinity. Remember the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We're going to start here. Now, to begin to talk about why Jesus died, very important to remember this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit share the same will, power, love, holiness, Dot dot dot. They share these things and more. So they are in always, at all times, they're always in total agreement. They're always in total agreement. We'll talk about why that's really, really important here in a moment. So to begin talking about the cross, we're going to start talking about a few terms here. Let me tell you, let me tell you where we're going to start. We're going to ask this question. We're going to talk about this word. Holy. When we start with the cross, we're going to start with the word holy. God is holy. 1 Samuel 2.2 says it this way. There is no one holy like the Lord. No one. He is in a category all to himself. We do not get close to His holiness. No one else does. He is holy beyond belief. He is good. He is righteous. He is set apart totally. Habakkuk one thirteen says it this way, Your eyes, God, are too pure to look on evil. That's how holy He is. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. That's a holy God. Hebrews 12.29 says this, Our God is a consuming fire. That's how holy He is. Isn't that incredible? Our God is a consuming fire. Now, how would this all-consuming holy God, how would He interact with the world? Well, God is just. God is just. That means in every situation, with everyone, He is totally fair and righteous. He never does wrong. Psalm 89, 14 says this about our God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. God is many things, but at at the foundation of who he is, he is righteous and just always. He can never do something unrighteous. He can never be unjust. It is who he is to be just. Zephaniah 3:5 says it this way, "The Lord is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning He shows forth His justice. Every time the sun comes up, we can count on God being righteous and just. Now, you see where the problem's coming? What happens when we talk about sin? What happens when we talk about sin? This holy, just God hates sin. We cannot emphasize that enough. He hates sin. Now, if you stuck with us this far, we're going to be talking about some things that are going to jostle our hearts, that don't sit well with us. In our our modern Christian world, and really just as broken sinners, we don't like talking about these things. But it's very important when we understand why Jesus came to die. This is what God, how God feels about sin. This is why, remember, total agreement. They share the same will. They share the same love. And so they will share the same hate. They hate sin. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit hate sin. This is what Psalm 5, 5-6 through 6 says. Are you ready? Stick with me. We're going to get through it. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Wow. That's in the Bible. You can check everything I say. You need to check. But is that hard to hear? And even harder than that. We realize that we are in that group, aren't we? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the Trinity, God, shares a hatred for sin. And so how does he, how does God, how does the Godhead deal with, how does he, how does he deal with sin? He doesn't just have this feeling towards sin. We talked about uh, earlier in God's justice, He must be just. He must punish wrongdoing. That's, That's who He is. He's good. He never leaves injustice unpunished. Well, the Bible talks about this word, wrath. Now, we really don't like that word, wrath, but it is a biblical word about our God. Jeremiah 30.23 says this about the wrath of God. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. That's how righteous and just and good God is. That He's wrathful towards sin. Nahum 1.2 says this way. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. Wow. And then what do we do when we take, when we remember that, we just learned that I'm, I'm, sin, I'm sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God is wrathful towards sin. He's just towards sin. How does that work for me? Well, Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men against all of it. You see, I think part of our problem is we, we like God's wrath when it comes to really, really bad people that we think are really, really bad. Like, I'm all on board for a guy like Hitler, right? Mass murderer, evil man, the epitome of evil. I'm, I think God should punish his evil. I think God should punish Hitler. I think that makes God good. I think we'd all agree with that. The problem is when we get a step closer to me and we say, what if if I'm not the arbiter of the standard of who God punishes and who He doesn't? What if I'm not the guy who gets to make the rules? What if God has a different standard than I do? Then I start having a problem. Then it starts jostling my heart when I hear things like, all have sinned and fall short. Jordan has sinned and fall short. When I hear things like, The wrath of God is being poured out against all ungodliness. I've got ungodliness. Now, if we stop there, there'd really be no hope. But we have another word. Love. 1 John 4.8 Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then we get John 3.16. You probably know this verse. For, all, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so somewhere... In this puzzle, we've got a holy and just God. We've got a world that is filled with sinners. We've got a God who is holy and just and will rightly and, good and, and do a good thing by pouring out wrath against sin and sinners. And we have a God who is loving. He is loving. He is love. And so how does this work? How does God love people who are sinners who deserve God's wrath, who are under God's wrath for our sin, of a holy and just God. How does this work? How can God be both loving and wrathful? Well, we get a bridge here. Justification. You heard that term? That's our last term on this section of the board, justification. Justification means declaring someone righteous. Declaring someone righteous. And so what we have in this equation is we have another word justification entered in where God makes someone who is not righteous, righteous. He lovingly declare someone righteous. Now, we get this in Scripture. Listen to this. You see, so this is where we were. This is where we were, rightly so. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Maybe you'll die for someone you think is righteous. Though for a good person, someone might possibly die. You might die for someone you think is a good person. But God demonstrates. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does this whole piece fit together? How is God both just and loving? and wrathful, and holy. How does this all work? All of these things come together gloriously and lovingly and justly at the cross of Jesus. Romans 3.21 says it this way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sorry, this is Romans 3.21. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 being justified, being declared righteous, being justified as a free gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly here's another word as a propitiation. Propitiation. As a propitiation, a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. He put forth as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate this, and this propitiation was to demonstrate His righteousness. So it demonstrates, the cross demonstrates God's righteousness because my sins are punished. If I come to Christ in faith, my sins are punished. So God didn't say, Jordan, you've been horrible to some people in your life. You've really hurt people sometimes. You've really done bad things. You haven't, uh, you haven't loved me as you should. You haven't loved your neighbor as you should. Those things are really bad. But God doesn't say, well, I'm just going to forget it. Don't worry about it. No, God will punish my sin. But in a loving act, merciful act of God, He put Jesus on the cross as a propitiation to punish my sin. So my sin is still punished, displaying the righteousness of God. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over these sins. He passed over punishing those sins that were previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that God would be both just in punishing sin and justifier. In declaring me righteous through my faith in Jesus. Do you understand how important that is? In the cross of Christ, God punishes my sin, and yet He can still declare me righteous. Isn't that awesome? And so, what we call this, what we call this is penal substitution. Now, I know that's a big word. I know those are big words that you probably never heard before. Um, Penal substitution, so important. Penal means punishment. Substitution, in my place. In our place. So, Jesus took the punishment for my sin. So, the just wrath of God is still poured out on sin punishment was still meted out. God is still good, but he did it on Jesus out of his love for the world. He did it on Jesus in our place. So I deserve to be there, but Jesus climbed there for me. That's penal substitution. That's salvation. That's the, the, central part of our faith. And what this did, so all these puzzle pieces come together here at the cross and the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in total agreement about all of this. And now because of penal substitution, God is totally satisfied. That's an important word, totally satisfied. It's done. He's satisfied. Total agreement total satisfaction in the cross of Christ. We sing about this. Remember, you know how we sing in Christ alone? In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God, in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, till on that cross that Jesus died, the Wrath of God is satisfied. You know singing that song? Why is this so important? Well, this is this so important? Because this is, is so countercultural. People in our time, churches in our time, do not like this. It jostles our hearts. And so people even take that song and they take out the wrath of God is satisfied and they replace it with things like the love of God is magnified. Is the love of God magnified here? Absolutely. But we can't remove the truth that the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. If we take that away, if his wrath isn't satisfied, then that means I still deserve hell. I still deserve what what happened to Jesus if his wrath isn't satisfied. And maybe are you saying that God doesn't have any wrath? Well, then how is he holy? Is he just going to say, oh, sin is not a big deal. I can, just, I can just deal with it. No, God is holy. So God's wrath was satisfied. That's what makes the cross so powerful. Now, what does Jesus think about this arrangement? That's a big question. Well, did God the Father just put Jesus on the cross? And, and, and was Jesus not on board with this? How does he feel about it? Well, Hebrews 12.2 says this. Says it calls us to look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. What did Jesus think about that? Did that hurt? Absolutely it hurt. Did it was, was the pressure enough to make him dro- bleed drops of blood? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he did it in joy, knowing what was coming, knowing the glory that is the cross. That's what Jesus thought about it. So hopefully you're thinking, well, where does this go in scripture? Hopefully that's in your mind. Uh, I'm so glad you asked. Where's this? Where's this in scripture? Um, it's, it's in a lot of places, but we're going to hit on a couple here. Um, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, a prophecy about Jesus that is so clearly about Jesus. Uh, This chapter has been called the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah 53. Okay, that's how important it is. It says this, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. For our transgressions, substitution. He was crushed for our iniquities, substitution, for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Substitution is upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isn't that clear? That's clear. Then we get into uh, Galatians three. We're going to start with verse ten. Galatians three ten says it this way: For all who rely on works of the law, so for everyone who tries really hard to obey God, are under a curse. For it is written, "Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them." What does that say? We have the law of God, and if we don't do all of them perfectly, if we don't obey all the law of God perfectly, we are under a curse. That's bad news. Now, it is evident that no one is justified, is declared righteous before God by works of the law. So if, unless I do it perfectly, I'm under a curse, and so obviously none of us can be perfect, so no one is justified by works of the law for the righteous shall live by faith christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so christ became the curse for us for our sin he took on the wrath of god that is the curse of sin second corinthians 521, 2 Corinthians 521, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. that amazing it's in lots of other places too. go back to Romans 3 21 26 to see this again but it's so it's so clearly Uh, Romans 3 again says this is the way he becomes he is just by punishing our sin and also the justifier by declaring us righteous the just and the justifier so important and this shows Romans uh, 3 25 this was to show God's righteousness to show God's righteousness in that. It also says propitiation, sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. Now, that's great. we got some passages right here and there's many others that you could find. Uh, What I want to do is I want to end by walking us through the whole scope of Scripture and show you how this is not just a, a new thing. that This can be seen throughout all of Scripture. This idea that penal substitution makes us right with God. Let's start here. Way back when... Genesis chapter 3. Remember this story? Adam and Eve sinned against God. First humans sin and rebel against God. They realize they're naked. you remember this? And they make fig leaves for themselves. Um, God comes and the curse for sin is is declared. And uh, the wrath of God in that is declared for all sin. and, And yet, though Adam and Eve deserve to be to to die for their sin. The wages of sin is death. Though that's true, God allows them to live and to live and to live. And not only that, in their nakedness, God kills an animal and makes them close. Even in their sin, and even though God's wrath was unleashed on sinfulness and God's love, an animal was killed in their place to cover them. Then we see Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac up on the mountain, Abraham going to uh, sacrifice his son. God declares, Abraham, stop. I do not require you to sacrifice your son. And what we have in that moment is God provides a ram, provides a ram. Miraculously, the ram is there. And Abraham and Isaac sacrifice the ram. The ram is sacrificed on the altar. The ram is sacrificed in Isaac's place. Isn't that amazing? Foreshadowing there goes goes really deep. Abraham, you do not need to sacrifice your son. I will sacrifice my son. Do you see? You see that connection? Exodus 12, the Passover, God's people are in slavery. Pharaoh is is keeping them and and, and is is being rebellious against God and keeping Israel in slavery. And God's wrath is being poured out in bigger and bigger ways against the people of Egypt and against Pharaoh, culminating in this this huge display of the wrath of God by the angel of death coming into Egypt and, and going to be taking every firstborn in the land of Egypt. And God's people are told, Your firstborn will die unless you sacrifice a lamb and sprinkle the blood over your doorpost. And in that way, the lamb will die in the place of your firstborn son. That's Passover. That's Passover. Leviticus 17 sets up the sacrificial system for God's people, saying, saying, God has provided this way. You bring an animal, you shed its blood on the altar, and your blood will make you right with God. Again. The blood of the animal will make you right with God again, will atone for your sins. Let me read it. It's It's... It's clear, it's so clear. I want I want to read it to you. Leviticus 17:11 says this, "For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement, propitiation for your souls." It is the blood by reason of life that makes this propitiation. Propitiation to satisfy the wrath of God. We see that in Leviticus. You see the flow of scripture. Then we see it in Isaiah 53. We talked about it earlier. The suffering servant, the Messiah is coming. What is he going to do? He's going to be pierced for our sins, not his. He's going to be crushed for our sins, not his. The punishment that brings us peace, the punishment that brings us peace is upon him and not me. Then we see John 1. Remember back here? Exodus 12, the killing the Lamb and sprinkling the blood will, bring, will cover you from the wrath of God. And then John 1. John the Baptist sees Jesus. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, not His own sins, the sins of the world. What is the Lamb all about? The Lamb is to die. It's to be punished for the sins of God's people. And then we have Mark. We could go on and on about this, but then we have Mark that we're going to end with. It says this, For even the Son of Man, the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Give His life as a ransom for many. My friends, we are tempted to Move away from this glorious truth. The world, our enemy, tempts us to leave these glories behind and to believe some subpar or to believe some some less than full truth about the cross. And it jostles our hearts and it should because these things are weighty but they're weighty because the the weight of our sin is huge. And the weight of sin against the infinite God is infinitely bad. And yet, in His love and His mercy for us, Jesus came. God the Father sent Jesus to willingly die on the cross so that all who call upon His name are saved. You are saved by faith in this. That's what saves us. So I hope this has maybe clarified some things for you. I hope you, you've heard this and, and I hope you've gone through kind of a range of emotions of kind of, oh man, my sinfulness, wow, and God's wrath. And I hope the Bible says that should make us have a little bit of fear and trembling. I hope you feel that. And then I hope you feel the glory of the justification that we have in Jesus and the love and the mercy displayed for us. And I hope you see the whole scope of Scripture and how it's written by one God through men, but it's written by one God to declare that He is a God who saved sinners, and he is the just and good and holy God who is willing to justify sinners. We love you. Thank you for spending time with me today. If you have any questions or you have a topic you might want us to address, let us know. Uh, We would love to, to jump in there. We love you. We'll see you next time.